0: We're jumping into Mark, and we are in uh, the middle of the, the Holy Week, right? Jesus has already entered into um, the city, Jerusalem, and this week he's spending teaching in Jerusalem. And so even as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, it's, uh, it's good that we kind of situate ourselves in that time period, thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done. And for the last couple of weeks, he's actually been teaching to the religious leaders. And some of the teaching that he's giving is, is tough. Some of the things that he's saying, like we uh, kind of cringe at, we're not comfortable with. Because really what he's doing is he's tearing down some of their own uh, traditions, their own ways of doing things, and he's reminding them of the truth that, that we already talked about this morning. The gospel of Jesus. That there would come a Savior who would save them. A Messiah who would come. The Christ. And so that was the promise that they're looking forward to. And Jesus is saying, I am that. But they're not, he's not coming in a way that they would expect. A way that they would want. And it really challenges them. To the point where, in the very beginning... The Pharisees have already intended in their heart to kill him, to trap him. So last week we were looking at Jesus and he taught them in a parable. And it's this beautiful parable of the kindness of the vine dresser who sends servant after servant after servant despite being rejected and beaten and bruised and killed. And finally he sends his son and they kill him too. And so he destroys the, the evil and the wicked. But he's doing this and they walk away perplexed. But they don't walk away for long. They're coming back today and, and they're coming back with a scheme and a way to trap Jesus. And so today we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see the dilemma that Jesus has. And, and maybe you've experienced it before. Maybe you've been in situations where it looks like there's, there's really two options and neither one of them are good. I know I've been there quite a few times. But what we see in Jesus is his, his wisdom. Like he is the son of God. If anybody can figure that out, it's going to be him. And he does. He, he does it in a beautiful way as the teacher, as the rabbi. So we see the dilemma. We see his answer. And that it's, it's not what they would expect in the one of the two ways, but it's this third way that's beautiful. This third way that is based on this upside-down kingdom that he's establishing. It's a kingdom that, that doesn't look like anything that they can imagine. It doesn't look like their political kingdom. It doesn't look like their religious kingdom. It looks like a kingdom of grace. And so they have a hard time understanding it. And we have a hard time understanding it. And finally, we see that there's implications in our life of this answer. Like, even though this answer is given 2,000 years ago, it still reverberates and resonates in our hearts, in our lives, in the way that we think, feel, speak to each other. And so it's got to change and transform us through the power of His Word and by the working of His Spirit. So let's ask God to do that today. Let's beg Him to do that. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we can read these words And it can be this really cool teaching that speaks to our minds. But there's a miracle that we would need to take place today that can only be done by the Helper, by the Holy Spirit. God, we would need it to be written on our hearts. We need our hearts to be changed, not our minds, but although that will happen out of a formed and changed heart, Lord, but we need a a deep belief that you are good. A deep belief that you love us. A deep belief that we can trust and depend on you. That you will never leave us or forsake us, Lord. And then, out of that belief, we can walk in good citizenship. Out of that belief, we can walk in what it looks like to be created and formed into your image. So Lord, we beg you today. Will you do that in us? Will you give us the gift of faith? Faith to love you and trust you and desire you more, more than anything else. Above all other allegiances we may have, may our allegiance be to King Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the dilemma, and it's going to take a little bit for this. Um, the beauty of it is that my son probably understands this more than I do because he's, he's wrapped up in some uh, Greek and Roman mythology. He loves it. Um, and so he, he probably knows a little bit more. But I had to do some study this week. As we think about Caesar, right? This is, this is Caesar, the ruler of the known universe. And so the dilemma that, that the Pharisees and the Herodians are bringing to Jesus is a dilemma that, that sets the tone, it, the tone is set up for it by what is going on in the world at that time. And so I just want us to begin to under, have, a, have a little bit of the Roman understanding of Caesar. And that's going to help us better understand this passage this morning. See, even some of our Christian lingo, even some of what Jesus is describing and what he's declaring and what others are declaring about him, is in the context of this Roman world. According to Bart Ehrman, he says this, The best known uh, talking about Caesar and who he is, the best known are the divine honors paid to the rulers of the Roman Empire, starting with Julius Caesar. We have an inscription dedicated to him in 49 BCE, five years before he was assassinated, discovered in the city of Ephesus, which says this about him. Descendant of Ares and Aphrodite, the God who has become manifest, universal savior of human life. This is what is attributed To Caesar. And so as you hear these things, you're like, wait a second. I've heard those things said. I've actually read some of those things in this Gospel of Mark, but they're not saying them about Caesar. They're saying them about Jesus. Right? As we heard that, the descendant of Ares and Aphrodite, and this is where uh, having some Greek mythology or some Roman mythology helps, those are gods. So, So essentially, we're saying. That Caesar, the Romans were saying that Caesar is the son of God. They're saying that he is the God who has become manifest, God incarnate. He's the God that we can see and touch and feel. And we're saying that he's the universal, of savior, uh, the universal savior of human life, that he brought this, this Pax Romana, this worldwide peace. As you think about that, you're like, wait a second. We said Jesus is the son of God. We said Jesus is the incarnate one. We said that Jesus is the Savior who's come to save all of humanity. And so we're beginning to realize, wait a second. We're juxtaposing Caesar and Jesus. And we know that this isn't going to end well. (laughs) This isn't going to end well because both those things can't be true at the same time. One of them is true and one of them is not, and so now we have to wrestle with this. And that's what that's what the Pharisees and the Herodians are bringing to the table. They're like, "Man, no matter what he says, we've got him here." Even the word gospel that we've. That we say and that we believe is a Roman first a Roman word, euhelion, which is talking about the good news. And this gospel was actually proclaimed whenever a new Caesar would come about, and so the the heralds would be sent throughout the known world, and they would proclaim the good news that there was a there was still a Caesar on the throne, and so you, your peace is intact. And so now we're beginning to see, man. There's a lot of depth here that if I, don't, if I don't know it, there's some real deep undertones that are taking place. There's another point of context here too that helps frame this. Not only are they living in the Roman world, but the Jews are being oppressed by this Roman world. Now, they're allowed to, to continue their practices in religion but it's it's all overseen by Roman rulers. It's all overseen by Roman governors, by puppet kings. And so there is some things that are being allowed, but they're also being heavily taxed. And this tax is um, has, has caused dissension among the Jews for a long time. You see, they're in the midst of a rebellion because... About a hundred years before Jesus, you have Judas Maccabee, and he had uh, been seen as the coming, as a, a savior, as a messiah, as someone who would save them from Roman oppression. And he overthrew authorities, and he caused a revolt and a revolution in the name of the Jews. Jews. And so that was 100 years before Jesus, and then uh, about 40 to 50 years after Jesus, the Jews would again rebel against Rome. And in 66 AD, they they cause a rebellion that Rome has to go and crush, and that actually leads to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So before and after Jesus, the, the Jewish people are in rebellion against Rome. And inner Jesus... The promised Messiah, who everyone has an expectation will free them from slavery, from taxation, from subjugation against this Roman ruler. And now the Pharisees come with a question. And it's weird because it says that it's the Pharisees and the Herodians, and that's an odd couple. They do not agree. On a lot of things, really what binds them together is their hatred of Jesus. That they want to get rid of this upstart Messiah. History itself is this volatile snare waiting to destroy Jesus. So follow along as I read verses 13 and 14 of Mark 12. It says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Well, what they're saying about Jesus is absolutely true. Jesus is true. He does not care about other people's opinions. The only Opinion that, he, that truly matters to him is doing the will of the Father and pleasing the Father, honoring Him. It says that He uh, is not swayed by appearances. That's absolutely true. He's already seen those who everyone else had put on the outskirts and He had looked past their appearances and He had said, listen, if you come by faith, you can come. Anyone can come. Those who would believe, will be, their sins will be forgiven. And so he's not swayed by outward appearances. And finally, he does truly teach the way of God. Not only does he teach it, but he walks in it. And then he calls others to follow him and to walk in the goodness, the holiness, the righteousness of God. The people that are saying this, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they don't actually believe it. If we just pause right there, are there things that we're saying about Jesus that we don't believe? Are there things that are true that, that we're, we're saying about a, a true and a holy God that, that we just don't believe? And I I think that, yes, there are things that we're saying about Jesus that we don't believe. And so that, that should be a point of conviction, but also not a point of condemnation, but a point of like, why don't you believe them? Why don't I believe them? Am I not spending time with Jesus? Do I not know him? Do I not trust him? Do I not depend on him? And so the things that I say would then become rote. They would just become normal um, phrases that I use rather than powerful impacting reminders of who Christ is and so I just challenge us today to, to mean what we say to not walk in hypocrisy which is what they're doing here and all of the things are true all of it is true about who Jesus is But it's the question that they ask in the midst of these flowery words, in the midst of this hypocritical um, flattery that really is setting off the bomb. And the question is, uh, is a political question and it's a religious question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? The, the Pharisees are there in a, in a, as a religious representative to say, hey, God says that we serve him and him alone. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? The Herodians are there in a political aspect, and they're saying, are you not going to honor the Caesar who is overall? And so the dilemma that Jesus is faced with is, no matter which way he answers, either he is going to lose, The hope of the people, because he's going to say, um, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar. Or he's going to be hunted down if he says, do not pay taxes to Caesar. And killed, which if, if you've read the story, you know that that happens. But it's, it's not going to happen right here. It won't be in this thing that they are able to accuse him. And so what we see here is the, the beautiful wisdom of God. The answer that Jesus says is answer C. Neither. Right? If you're looking at a, um, an SAT, it's going to be that fourth option. Third option, whichever one it is. So follow along as I read his response. He says... But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? In verse 15, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Verse 16, and they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. You see, Jesus' wisdom itself. And today, if you are in Christ, you have that same wisdom. Like you can you can walk in the same wisdom, being led by the Spirit, to not have to choose A or B, but to walk in the way that Christ has led us and is leading us to walk in. And so He does this by exposing their hypocrisy. A, he says, he says it, knows it, sees their hypocrisy. And then he exposes it by their deeds, which is just awesome. He says, bring me a denarius. Now, in that time, um, and because of the, the traditions of the, of the religious leaders, they weren't supposed to carry money. They definitely weren't supposed to carry money that had a graven image of an emperor or a ruler at that time. And so... For Jesus to even ask the question, bring me a denarius, and for them to be able to get one right away, says that, hey, you are walking in hypocrisy. Even the things that you're claiming, you're not doing. And so Jesus exposes them. But it's, it's, not a, it, it's an exposing that's drawing to repentance. It's an exposing that says, listen, you can't even do the religious things that you're saying you're supposed to do. And I know that, and I've come for that reason. A graven image on the coin was against the law of God. So Jesus exposes their plans to test and trap them with his words and exposes the heart through their deeds. Knowing the sinful heart of man, he actually takes their hypocrisy, grabs the coin, and he uses it. And he says, listen, on this coin... Whose, whose image and whose inscription is upon it. Just like our coins, um, many of them have a face on them, and, and they would have the face of the emperor. And they would have some sort of a inscription written upon it. And they, they make the rightful claim. They say, yes, that's Caesar. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In verse 17... Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Again, as a good rabbi who teaches by answering a question with a question, he asks them whose inscription is upon it. I think sometimes we forget that. Like Jesus is an incredible teacher. But even the best teacher if it's only in our heads, is is not going to lead to the righteousness that we need in our hearts. And so Jesus gives the promise that, listen, you've been with me and it's good and and you've seen it and I've taught you. But there's coming a day where I'm going to go and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and it's going to produce in you the ability to not just think and know, but to trust and believe and to walk in the righteousness that I've purchased for you. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, asks them a question. Whose likeness and inscription are on it? The beauty of it is that, that that coin says one thing. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So whose name is on the coin? Caesar's. Well, then give coins to Caesar. But whose image and whose inscription is upon you? Jeremiah 31:33 through 34 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. If we are God's people, it's inscribed on our hearts. It's written. There's an inscription upon your heart that says, I am your God and you are my people. And it's in the handwriting of God. Inscription. And then image. Listen, so many of us know from Genesis 1, and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Whose image is upon you? The image of God. So Jesus is saying, listen, give give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yes, be a good citizen. Walk in that. But give to God what is God's. Give to God your heart. Give to God your, your life. Give to God your plans. Give to God everything that he has inscribed and created in and through you. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says this, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This morning, if you are in Christ, then the question that, God, that Jesus would ask is whose image is upon you? And you, you would answer the image of God. And then he would call you and say, if that's true, then give to God what is God's. The beauty of it is he doesn't, he doesn't tell them do pay taxes or don't pay taxes. He gives this way of both honoring Caesar. Listen, give Caesar who is the temporary ruler over a temporary kingdom, his due and his tribute. But give to God, who is the eternal king, over an eternal kingdom, what only what is eternal? Your heart, your soul, your life. And so, in his beautiful wisdom they have to leave marveling at what he says. Blown away. They thought they had him. And I don't think it's a marvel of like, oh, yeah, we should follow him now. I think it's like, how did he get out of that? That was locked up tight. We had Jesus right where we wanted him. Somehow, he answered it in a way, he made us answer in a way that got him off the hook. And yet, today, we marvel. We both marvel at that. It's, it's ingenious. Like, if you, were, if you were writing a movie, you'd be like, man, that's cool. What a cool twist in the plot. But the reality is we marvel even more at what he did say. We marvel that he would call us to give, us, to give everything. My time, my talent, my treasure, all of it God owns. All of it he's given to me as a steward that I get to walk in and steward rightly for his glory. And so while we have the dilemma and we have the answer, we also have ways that this plays out in our life even now. Because if it's just, wow, that's cool that Jesus was able to do that, then the Holy Spirit's not changing and transforming us. And our hope is that God is changing and transforming us. And and it's a hope that the apostles take. And so I, I want to jump to First Peter and look at what Peter says. The guy who's been following after Jesus, and in First Peter 2, 13 through 17, he says this be subject to the Lord's sake for every human for sorry, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the Emperor as Supreme. It's possible to honor God in everything that we say and do and to be good citizens, to be good neighbors, to walk in a righteousness that's been purchased for us that actually leads to good fruit, to the the wholeness of a community. But it also could be that you are called to, to... Walk in righteousness in the midst of a bad community. We don't have to go too far back to, to think about dictators. Dictators who would rule. And so what is our obligation in the midst of that society? And it's to, to honor God in everything that we say and do. To hope and work towards the, the, the fruitfulness of all mankind, but even God is sovereign over but God is even sovereign over those things. God was sovereign over what all of us would deem as a, as a wicked thing, the, the Third Reich and, and the, the dictator Hitler. God was sovereign over that. He, he didn't lose control for that time. He, he worked things in that for His glory and for the good of people. And it's hard for us to see it. I think one of the things from, uh, one of the stories out of it is Corey Ten Boom and how um, God used her mightily, and yet she lost family. She lost so many things in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of all of that, and yet she was able to be, by the, by the working of God's Spirit inside of her, to walk in forgiveness to those who would hurt her. So God is sovereign, and he's established kings, and he's established governors, and he's done all of this. And Peter says, listen, as as much as you can, walk in a way that would honor God and honor those in authority over you. And that's what Jesus is really pressing over these last couple weeks. Do we acknowledge his authority? Do we look at his authority and try to make that an escape of the other authorities that he's... Sovereignly put over us because we don't like authority, which is just true. Like, we, we, I have a hard time being told what to do. And so I rebel against it. And sometimes I'll even use Jesus as my reason for it. And he's saying, Don't do that. You don't, you don't get that out. You trust me. Paul says the same in Romans 13. He says, This let every person be subject to the governing authorities. not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authority are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So today we're left with this from Jesus. Give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Live in a way that that we can honor those authorities put over us. But ultimately when it comes down to it, we're going to honor God with everything that we have. There's going to be times where where it's very clear that you cannot honor both God and God. And Caesar. And you're going to have to honor God. And it's going to be a great price to you and to me. And I think that in, in America right now, we're beginning to see that, listen, that's that's a growing reality for us. There will be times where we cannot be both in the culture and, and, and shaping culture and honoring God. Where, where there will be times where we actually have to like like the church in China right now, the church in um, Middle Eastern countries where it's illegal to meet. We have to honor what God says. Those people are still meeting because God says not to abandon or forsake the gathering of the saints. And so there will come a time, but as much as we can, we need to honor those that God has put over us in a way that honors God. And I think that we can take this and we can turn it into this moralistic thing. Okay, I need to be a good citizen. I need to be a good neighbor. But the reality is that if any of that is being done for any other reason except out of worship and gratitude to a great God, then it's a a righteousness that we're trying to walk on our own. And we can't do that. We can't walk in our own righteousness. We have to walk in the righteousness that Christ has purchased for us. And to do that, we need to recognize that he has paid the price for our sin, for our unrighteousness, and our self-righteousness. And then out of that, realizing, God, you did this. You sent the Son. You sent the Son to pay for me. Now I have this act of worship, this joy in my heart. This love of God that isn't looking to serve him because I have to, but serving him because I want to know him and be with him and love him. with My whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's going to look like all of the different places where he's put me. Whether that's a citizen in the United States, whether it's in my school, under the authority of my teachers, whether it's in my family, all the different places he's put me. I get to worship Him, honor Him, serve Him, know Him, and love Him. I pray that we would believe that, cling to that. I pray today that we would repent. Repent of disobedience and obedience for the sake of anything other than the worship of God. And I pray that we would believe. And as we believe in what God has done, as we believe in this gospel, this good news, that it would lead to worship. Worship that looks like obedience. You see, when my heart is shaped by gratitude for the grace of God in Jesus Christ, toward a sinner like me, I'm free to serve and obey in all of life, joyfully, with worship. Can you pray with me? God, we're so grateful today. We're grateful that you don't leave us or forsake us. Lord, we could, we could have... Um, We couldn't we could be just left alone without your word and without your spirit, but you didn't you you sent your spirit to help us to understand what is it what is my role as a citizen, what is my role as a father, what is my role in all the different places where you've put me? My role is to worship God. how do I do that? and you lead us into that and so Lord, we thank you. We pray that today you would stir again our affection, our joy, our love for you. God, that 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 worship, that joy, that love would play itself out in obedience. Lord, we long to know you and love you with everything that we have, everything that you've given us. God, I pray that today we would know and believe that we are created in your image, that your word is inscribed on our hearts, Lord, that that we are sealed by your spirit, that we are bought with a price. God, and as we realize that we are gods, that we would give to God what is gods. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.